We are excited about this panel today. How many of you were here yesterday for the panel discussion? What an amazing panel discussion that was as the discussion was on unity and demonstration. And today with our panelists, we want to talk about the two subjects that we believe are two of the four wins that we have emphasized during this wins conference. And that is restoration and impartation. And we're going to be joined, uh, hopefully, by video in, in just a few moments with uh, Brother Lee Stone King, who is a legend, who's 80 years old now and has been used in the operation of the gifts of the Spirit for many years, spoken at the United Nations, uh, literally to millions of people, and uh, has imparted into this next generation many of the speakers even you've heard this week have been greatly impacted by uh, his ministry. Brother Josh Herring, uh, Brother Dylan Morgan, uh, Brother Chris Green, and many others. So we're excited that he's going to join us. But the, the whole idea about this conference got started uh, with Brother Landon Gore, Brother Chris Green, uh, Brother Charles Robinette, and myself uh, doing crusades overseas. And we were in uh, Malawi, uh, Africa few years ago and it had been a tremendous service and I think maybe 15, 1600 people had received the Holy Ghost and we were just eating after service and we were just talking about the dynamics of the conference, the music team, the worship team, all the ministers and the moving of the Holy Ghost and we got to talking about how we'd love to be able to see this type of thing happen in America. How many of you believe God has a revival for America? It's going to shake the world. And so we just said, let's do it. And so I'm so thankful that Brother Green and, and Brother Gore uh, are with us because they were part of that original discussion. And I remember during that uh, conference that we had in Malawi, Africa, Brother Green, that uh, you and I talked about restoration. We felt like that was a very important ingredient. And certainly as you have shared your heart today, about what it is to be restored. I'm so glad our God is in the restoration business. He is restoring all things. And so, Brother Green, I want to just start with you. And, and I know you talked a little bit about your personal testimony, but in terms of reaching this millennial generation, what is it that you feel like that restoration really uh, can, can do for all of us to give us a path to it where Millennials in particular can feel like that that restoration is indeed something that's reachable and it's not just a concept It's a wonderful wonderful question and uh, We talked about in that conversation that we had we talked about resurrection and <laughs> Praise the Lord we talked about <laughs> that's the sound of resurrection. Yes, we talked about resurrection and obviously, resurrection is a central theme of the Pentecostal movement. I mean, we talk about it, if not every service, uh, every other service, because without resurrection, we wouldn't be here. Uh, you know, Jesus died on the cross, but yet there was a resurrection. And without that resurrection, we wouldn't be here. The resurrection power of the Holy Ghost. But then we got on to the concept of restoration, that if we don't have restoration, we never make it to resurrection. And we don't hear about, as re hear about restoration quite as often 
as we do resurrection. But, but me, and I guess the uniqueness of my journey, and everybody's journey is unique, but the fact that I was born into this fifth, possibly sixth generation Pentecost, but taken out at two years old and then revealed this to me. God revealed this to me at 16 years old. I feel like a first generational Pentecostal, if you will, because um, I wasn't raised in this, you know. But when God revealed this to me and then restored my family, he restored my parents. Um, and that journey of, as I preached a little while ago, the restoration of my grandfather, that on my grandfather's deathbed, of course, I talked about the mental institution he was in. God restored him. But later on his deathbed, I was raised hearing my grandfather curse you people. I could tell you names of preachers and Pentecostal ministers and leaders that he would curse at the dinner table. He would get up and preach about love in our charismatic church. And then at lunch that day, I mean, just tear you guys apart. And that's how I was raised, hearing all of the this, this, this spewing of bitterness about Pentecostal people. And so at the end of his life, for my grandfather to call me on his deathbed, I was in California uh, with Brother Dan Butler doing an internship there. And my grandfather calls me the night before he's dying. And he was in hospice and he had been teaching Bible studies in hospice and, and witnessing and everything he was doing there in hospice. And this time restored to the joy of the Lord. And, and he calls me and he tells me, Christopher... I'm so thankful that you are a Pentecostal preacher. When literally just a couple of years prior, I was at Urshan Graduate School of Theology, and he is cursing me for being a part of a Pentecostal school and a Pentecostal organization and pursuing Pentecost. He would, the things he would say, I can't even repeat. And so for him to call me the night before he dies and say, I am so thankful hmm. that my grandson is a Pentecostal Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And I, I've shared this only maybe once before. It was at, at General Conference in 2017. Well, he had told me, he said, You're, you will be stabbed in the back. He said, you will be mischaracterized and mistreated. And he said, but don't allow your relationship with man to compromise your relationship with God. He said, always keep the faith. And just before he handed the phone back to my grandmother, he said, and Christopher, I'll be watching you the night you preach general conference. Well, I wasn't even preaching full time yet. I was like, you know, calling all these pastors. Can I come preach for you? You know, no, but I was interning and I wasn't even a full time preacher yet. And so for him to say that, it was just like, oh, okay, it's just a proud grandfather. But in 2017, you know, when my phone rang, I'll never forget my phone rang and they said, we want you to preach Thursday night at general conference. And I was like, uh, what? You know, and I hang up the phone. I call my grandmother. It was the first phone call I made. And I said, Grandma, remind me, what did Papa say the night before he died? What did he say? And she told me the whole thing. And she said, yeah, I remember he said, he'll be watching you the night you preach at General Conference. And I said, I just got off the phone. And they have asked me to preach Thursday night at General Conference. Boom, I hear her fall to the ground and just speaking in tongues. 
because it was one more time a confirmation that God had restored my uh, grandfather. Thank you, Jesus. And I'll never forget watching her lay over his coffin singing, if it had not been for the Lord, where would I be? And so if it was not for restoration, none of us would experience resurrection power like we do the day of Pentecost, the rushing mighty wind without restoration, none of us would be here. So when I think of restoration, I think of I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for God's restoring power. Amen. So good, so powerful. Brother Gore, do you think that part of restoration and the challenge that, that we all face and, and trying to apply those principles to our life, do you think that part of that struggle is because we're our own worst critics? And the Bible talks about how our heart condemns us. And if that is the case, as you just preached a masterful message about hell having a rooster, but we have a wind, and that is a louder sound. But how do we, as a part of this millennial generation, how do we, in practical terms, how do we tune in to that louder sound that is the sound of love, the sound of God reaching for us? Um, that's a great, great question. And um, I immediately thought of Galatians 6 to 1 when it says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such as one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And so I think there's an innate insecurity in us because every single one of us have stumbled or fallen in some form or fashion. But the propensity and the proclivity is to, if I can find someone else that has fallen in a greater way than me, I can justify where I haven't yet been restored. I can justify my mistake. I can justify where I have fallen. And I think reconciliation and restoration takes spirituality. Because for me to truly tap into that love... And for me to truly find restoration for myself, I have to be willing to give restoration to someone else. And it's one thing just to verbally forgive someone. And it's one thing just to publicly say, I forgive them. It's another thing to restore them in a spirit of meekness, knowing, knowing that you have the same humanity and flesh that they have. It's easy for me to restore you if I can still hold it over your head and use me restoring you as me being able to be superior to you. But Peter standing with the 11 is 11 other preachers saying, we will restore you to a place of spirituality, power, and anointing. And we're not going to hold anything over your head. We are going to agree with you. We are going to stand with you. That takes spirituality. And so I'm reminded of the prodigal son. He comes back. What does the father do? The father is waiting on him. The father calls for the best robe. He calls for the ring. He, he calls for the sandals. What, what, to me, that is the father saying, I'm going to restore you. How am I going to do it? I'm going to give you the best robe. I'm going to give you a ring. I'm going to give you sandals. To me, that is significant. I am going to restore to you identity. I am going to restore to you authority. And I am going to restore to you direction. 
to anybody, whether you are an alcoholic and a first-generation sinner that is coming in or whether you have been a saint who has failed, God wants to still give you that authority back, that identity back, that direction back. And this is a picture, a picture of restoration to me, is that son walking through the city, and he's, he's, he now has the best robe. Who, who has the best robe? The father has the best robe. Who has the best robes? The father's wardrobe. A picture of restoration to me is somebody seeing that son come into the village, and they say, oh, oh, hey, the father's in town. No, no that's the son. No, 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 I, th- I think that's the boy. No, 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 no. Because if you are restored, you look like him, you talk like him, you walk like him. Amen. Wow. So good. Pastor Jaron Carney, thank you so much for being with us and being a part of this conference and helping to plan and organize behind the scenes. You pastor a tremendous church, the Woodlawn Church in Columbia, Mississippi, and um, you host a tremendous conference impact that has impacted all of us. And um, you and I are, are not just fellow pastors, but we're also good friends and our families. And, and uh, you, you've become a leader within the United Pentecostal Church, reaching your generation. I hate to admit it, but you're younger than I am. <laughs> but what, what can we do uh, as a movement to make restoration systemic within our organization? Wow. I think it's key, number one, that we embody and embrace what we are talking about today. Uh, my dad is, is famous for being a restorer of people. He's my pastor, and so I'm going to talk a little bit about him today. But he, he's always told me, Jaron, restoration is almost always rejected and ridiculed by those who have not yet received it. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. I believe every one of us can just lift our hand and say, we, we, we need restoration. We need mercy. We, we need to be restored. And I believe it's the key to our movement. I believe it's the key to revival. And this is what I have found to be true. And I'm so glad to have my daughter with me, Jane Claire. She drove with me. Ten and a half hours yesterday, and I hate it, but we have to get in the car after this panel. We have a wedding, and we got to drive back ten and a half hours, but that's what pastors do. But I believe this, Brother Myers, is that we pass down whatever we possess to our children. So if we are restorers, we're going to pass that down. Just like if we have a spirit of unforgiveness, we're going to pass that down to the next generation. So, my staff always, they pick on me and my dad a lot. And it's in fun, it's in jest, but they always say, you and Bishop are always looking for a whip puppy. Because we just, we love trying to help restore Amen. people. He always told me, son, err on the side of mercy. If you got a choice, always go with mercy. I'm going to pick on him just a little bit. He he has modeled that. He has exampled that for me. The only person I have never known him to give mercy to is Tiger Woods. 
<laughs> We're a golfing family, and like he loves golf. And after Tiger messed up, he's like, I don't ever want him to win again. I don't ever want him to win again. He just recently played the Tiger Woods course, and so I hope he's coming over to. to, to <laughs> I'm just joking, but he, he knows how to give mercy. And I believe if we as an apostolic church will ever learn to embody restoration. You just mentioned it. We have to give it. Yes. You have to give it. And we will pass that down to the next generation. We need restoration. That's so good. We can really create a groundswell of restoration by just modeling it for our, our own children and our churches. Uh, Brother Green, you shared so transparently about your own uh, path in restoration and your family. This is probably a difficult question, but I want to ask it. Is it easier to receive restoration or to give restoration? Uh, C. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I noticed something unique actually this morning in scripture that deals with that question because in the story and I I referred to it in my sermon this morning but in the story of the man with the withered hand the critics are there to accuse him if he would heal as I said and that word heal means to relieve to alleviate and he was in the restoration business that day. He saw the man with the withered hand. He told him to come forward. And it says that he didn't heal him. It says he restored. He didn't relieve him. He restored him. He literally transformed the hand whole like the other. And Matthew records it this way, that when he finished giving restoration, they weren't looking to just accuse him anymore. They were looking to destroy him literally says it. I've got it somewhere in my iPad. Matthew 12, 14. The Pharisees went out and held a council. They had a business meeting. And they said, how can we destroy him? Their initial plan was, oh, let's just accuse him. He restores. He gives someone else restoration. And they said, okay, that's enough. Let's destroy him. But when Jesus gave restoration, what's recorded in Luke chapter 6 is interesting because it says after he restored the man's hand, literally the very next verse it says, and it came to pass that Jesus went into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Verse 13, and when it was day, he called unto him disciples, and of them he chose 12 who he also named apostles. Restoration preceded the making of an apostle. By him giving restoration, it caused him to be attacked. It caused others to want to destroy him. What is it about us? I know like your dad, Brother Carney, and I know other ministers who are natural rescuers and restorers. And I hope Brother Stone King can join us at some point in Jesus' name. He is one of those natural rescuers and restorative people that he sees even though he sees your failure he sees you're still a soul 
And what is it about certain people that haven't received restoration that when they witness someone else giving restoration that probably doesn't deserve it or earn it, that we want to attack not the person that's being restored, but the restorer of the person. We want to attack the man of God, the woman of God. We, what are you doing putting the robe on him? You know, the, the elder son uh, demeanor. I deserve that or whatever it is. The, the older son, the older brother, didn't. he never received restoration, so he didn't understand the appreciation of what the father was doing for the son. Had he just humbled himself for a moment, he would have realized if I were to have fallen or if I ever fall, now I can see I'll be all right because my father is a restorer. And what's so interesting is, is back in Luke chapter 6 when he makes the apostles, the scripture says, watch this. He called them apostles, and in verse 16 it says, And he came down with them, with the disciples, and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem, the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon. They came to hear him and be healed of their diseases. So now other people needing restoration, a multitude of people. And I, in study, I found that this was at least 10,000 people. So now... <laughs> He's given restoration to a man in the synagogue. Next verse, he has a team of disciples and apostles. Next verse, he's got a mega church of 10,000 people that all need restoration. You want revival? You want to build a church? You want a ministry? Look for somebody to restore. And the scripture says, and they were all vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed. Watch this, verse 19. And the whole multitude sought to touch him. He's a restorer. I got to get close to him. My child is possessed by a devil. My, my spouse is crippled, sick. We, if we can just touch him, he's the restorer. The scripture says they looked to touch him. Watch this. For there went virtue out of him, and he healed them all. Because he was a restorer of the brother. Again, like Brother Gore preached so masterfully, not because he was, it wasn't because Jesus was eloquent. He was in the synagogue to teach and he didn't preach. He said, I got a sermon to preach, but I'm not going to preach today. I'm going to restore somebody. And the restoration led to this revival. The restoration led to the multitude following him while the religious people sat there attacking him. The religious people that could quote all the scripture, they were the best Bible quizzers of that day. They sat there trying to destroy him while 10,000 other people sought to touch him. So you have a choice. Who will you be? Will you be a restorer of somebody else? I know that because I have been restored. You know what is so, I'm sorry, this is the last thing I'll say about this, is being raised on the other side of the fence. I noticed that all we did was throw rocks at you people. I'm sorry if one of my rocks hit you. All we did was throw rocks at you people, the Pentecostal people. Oh, man, they're a bunch of legalists and they blah, 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 blah. That's all we did. We wasted. We just spent all of our time throwing rocks at you guys. And then I noticed that when I came on this side of the fence, I had the tendency to throw rocks back to that side of the fence. Come on. Wow. And I was with my wife and we were traveling and I was... Man, I bless God. You see what that person did? You see what they're wearing? Did you see what they did? Did you see blah, blah, blah? And I was talking about Pentecostal men and women of God. And I remember throwing rocks. And I just was throwing rocks just like I was on the other side of the fence. And I realized, wait a second, it's the same rock. 
just a different side of the fence. I put the rock down. Let he who has no sin cast the first stone. I told my wife, I said, babe, if you ever see me pick up another rock, rebuke me. <laughs> Lay your hands on me and pray for me to put that rock down. It's time for the Pentecostal movement to put the rock down and lift our eyes unto the hills for our help cometh from the Lord. I'm telling you what, we're not going to have revival throwing rocks. We're going to have revival when we stand on the rock and we lift up our eyes unto heaven yes. and realize that we're all human beings. And there's no greater time than in the COVID era that we trust one another. Nobody's been through this before. So when the man of God has an idea or a vision or a word from God and we do something we've never done before and it blows up in their face... Why don't we say, hey, it's all right. I told my father-in-law, because he's in Portland where they said, you can't have church. But after six months of no church, he said, we got to have church. And I said, okay, if the police shows up to arrest you, I'm standing up and saying, I'm Daryl Sparks. Arrest me. <laughs> Prison ministry. We need a revival of the spirit of John the Beloved, who was the only disciple that didn't betray Jesus at the cross. We need a disciple to stand up and say, Jesus, if you're going to do something that no one's ever done before, I'll go with you, even if it requires me going to a cross. Wow. In Jesus' name. Wow. So good. Brother Gore, you uh, were recently preaching about uh, failure, and um, I know that sometimes... It's difficult uh, to preach about failure because even when you were preaching just a few minutes ago, I, I know you felt compelled to have to give a disclaimer about I'm not, I'm not promoting failure. And it reminded me of years ago when I was a millennial, I preached a message called uh, the danger of a preventative mentality. And the crux of it was just simply that the danger in having a preventative mentality, which we have as a holiness movement, is that we don't get a clear path laid out for restoration because we think if we're advocating for restoration that somehow we're promoting failure which we aren't but Jesus's ministry was about restoration so how is it that what can we do to have dual tracks of yes the word of God is to keep us and prevent us from falling into sin. But if we do, the same God will restore us. How can we have both of those as the integral part of our ministry? Yeah, um, I think that may be above my pay grade. <laughs> and I'll try to answer it as best I can. I think it's so beautiful in that story when Jesus says, he who is without sin casts first stone so they they drop their stones but then he also looks at that lady and he says now go and sin no more and so it's not an either or we can drop the judgment and drop our sin it doesn't have to be an extreme of one or the other it's all it's all, it's, it's it's all judgment or it's all just loose living I believe that we can, we can believe <laughs> what the word of the Lord tells us to do while giving room for 
not judging people, but restoring people and realizing that we are dealing with humanity. You know, I, I, it's, it's so easy um, to, we've all made the mistake, and so it's, it's so easy to make a mistake and to feel the hypocrisy of having made that mistake because we're children of God. We're, we're preachers. We're ministers. We're, we're saints of God. And one time the Lord spoke to me. He said, you're not a hypocrite. You're human. And so many times it's the very scars of our mistakes that bring healing to someone else. We didn't intend for those scars to be there. If we could choose, we would not, we would not have chosen those scars. But the same hand that drops that stone and the same hand that drops that sin can also be the same hand that ministers to somebody else. I find it so significant that the Bible says that the viper jumped out of the fire and bit the hand of the apostle Paul. But then a few minutes later, he goes to the house of Publius and he prays for someone sick in the bed. And you know what the Bible says? He lays his hands, plural, on them. God is not going to give us the luxury to appear flawless to the world and say, let me show you the side that is perfect. God is saying, if you're going to be a part of this end time revival, I'm going to need the perfect hand and the scarred hand. I'm going to need you to use the hand that was bitten and the hand that wasn't bitten. Every single person has a good side and a bad person, a good side and a bad side. That means you're a human Amen. and God can use both. Wow. Brother Stone King, can you hear me? You can hear me, but we can't hear you yet. Okay, then let's work on it, okay? <laughs> oh, man, we can hear you and see you. How are you, you feeling? Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. How are you feeling? I'm doing well today, thank you. They're going to turn up your volume a little bit. We've got a group of about 200 people here, and we've been talking with <coughs> Brother uh, Chris Green, Brother Landon Gore, and Pastor Jaron Carney about uh, restoration and impartation. I've been, I've been listening to them. Have you? Oh, yes. And Brother Green uh, mentioned that you have always been known as a rescuer um, to restore and to rescue people. What do you feel in your spirit today about the subject of restoration? I have a tremendous burden. I always have had a great burden for young people because they are the future of everything. The whole thing rests in their hands right now. We are the generation upon whom the ends of the world have come. Angels are not coming. They can't do it. Jesus is not coming back. The responsibility is upon us. And if I have a message for young people today, impartation and all the rest of it, it is vitally important that you know who you are in God. Not as man sees you. I know how man looks at me. I know what they say. That's not important. It is important, but it's not the most important thing. The most important thing is how does God see me? How does God view me? If you can know how God sees you and he has told you what he wants you to do, you've had a dream or a vision, 
once you really know who you are in God, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. If you just stand on that, God will make a way for you where there absolutely is no way. The most important thing, when I came into this, someone has asked me in the last couple of years, a couple of times, Brother Stone King, how did you get a hold of all of this? When did all this begin to happen for you? I looked at him, I said, well, I've always had it. They said, what? I said, I found a verse in the Bible that says, these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. If they take up serpents, uh, it shall not harm them, etc., etc., etc. And it ends by saying, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. I said, I've always had it. Within the first eight hours after I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I was praying for because every believer, every believer was a preacher. Read the text, it's there. In the beginning, the believers destroyed the Roman Empire. There was nothing they could do against it. The lie hold it. And God, right now, is that to take a hold of us again so we come out of our corners and stand up and be counted. Amen. We've got nothing to lose, everything to gain. And all you need in this is one man somewhere, two men who are spiritual, who believe in you and who stand with you. For example, Brother T.W. Barnes, he was like a dad to me. He always wanted the son and I filled the bill. He treated me like his own boy. As long as I knew he was for what I was doing, it didn't matter what anyone else said. I did it. He said, boy, I've never known of God to raise a man from the dead to preach the fivefold ministry. He said, but God has raised you from the dead to preach the gospel and to preach the fivefold ministry. He said, so preach it in its fullness. So from that moment on, I began to preach the fivefold ministry. And God is absolutely doing things. There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. We have got to have the fivefold ministry restored in order to have a real revival that God wants us to have. I mean, for example, the fivefold ministry is listed in order of importance. The evangelists, go, the, I'm sorry, the apostles in the beginning, they governed the church. The prophets guided the church. The evangelists gathered for the church. The pastors guarded the church and the teachers grounded the church. Without that in operation, we will never have the revival we're supposed to have. I'm an apostolic evangel. I work in the prophetic world and the prophetic aspects of everything, but I'm only one fifth of it. Pastors are only one fifth of it. Apostles are only one fifth of it. Prophets are only one fifth of it. Teachers are only one fifth of it. We've got some incredible teachers among us, but we've never made a place for teachers. So what happens is they end up in our Bible schools. That's where they end up, but they should be out. Our pastors should be inviting great teachers in and have four or five nights of in-depth Bible study and great teaching. It would change everything if we would get into that. Wow. That's so good, Brother Stone King. 
And the older I get, the tougher I get. I just turned 80 years old on my uh, 80th birthday, July 19th. So Moses, Moses was 80 years old, gentlemen, when he led the Hebrew children out of Egyptian bondage. That's insane if you think about it. He was 80 years old when he led three to six million people out of bondage. So I said to myself, Moses was 80 years old when he delivered Israel from Egypt. So I said to myself, I've turned 80, so I'm going to enter the Moses era. That's what I'm talking about. And the Bible says, and Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. In the Hebrews, it says, and his moisture was not dried up. That means that man could still sire children at 120 years of age. So I've got a few years to go. I'm only 80. I got to keep at this. I'm not going to retire. I'm going to keep into this with everything I've got. And here's the thing. I've been thinking about this a lot. You know, if you look at the Bible from Genesis all the way through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, here's the message. The Old Testament, the hope of the Hebrew children was a Messiah's coming, the Messiah's coming, a Messiah's coming. They lived on that for thousands of years. The Messiah came, but that wasn't it. The Messiah said the comforter is coming. So everything from Genesis through Malachi, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, something is coming, the comforter. Everything after the book of Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all the way through the book of Revelation, it's obvious something has come. But what? In other words, what I'm saying is, without the book of Acts, the Bible is an empty hall. It's useless because you would never know what was what had come and you would never know what was coming. In other words, Acts 2.38 is the only saving message in the entire Bible that will put you in eternity in heaven. It's the only saving message. So what I'm telling everybody, everyone I can get a hold of, we need to preach Acts 2.38 like we have never ever preached it before. We don't need to apologize for anything. We don't need to apologize for anybody. In fact, I've begun to say to people, do you want to be saved or lost? Well, they'll always answer saved. I said, well, that's what they ask in the, in the beginning. This is what they ask. What must we do to be saved? I turn right to Acts chapter 2. There's no way to get around it. And wow. you've got that power. You've got that power. We are the most powerful people on planet Earth. There has never, ever been a people like us. So that's why I'm saying if we could wake up and realize who we really are in God, we could take our cities. Do you know what would happen if every believer in our churches all across this country would become a believer like they were in the beginning and all of our believers became preachers? We could take our cities. Amen. There's no doubt about it. Praise God. Praise God. Wow. We could take our cities. And uh, as I said, angels can't do it. Jesus is not coming back. The responsibility is upon us. And, uh, you know, I'm the kind of person um, 
Someone said to me about a year ago, it was some preacher in a meeting where I was, and um, I had preached positively, and we'd had a great meeting, a great move of God in the altar service. He walks up to me in the altar service, and he says, Stone King, you're so cocksure of yourself, aren't you? I looked at him, I said, yes, yes, I am. I turned my back on him and walked away. That dude's a loser. I don't have time for losers. I am not working with losers anymore. The moment I determine someone's a loser, I hit the eject button. I'm gone. They may make it, but they'll make it with, without me. Because here's the thing. We don't have time to work with losers. We've got to find winners, gentlemen, and work with winners. I'm talking to young people. You young people, this thing is upon you. You don't need to apologize to anybody. I stand up and say, yes, I'm one of them. Yes, I speak with tongues. Yes, I'm baptized in Jesus' name. Yes, there's only one God. What else do you want to know? That's exactly how we should be. If we would become bold in this, we could turn everything around because nothing stops a conversation as quickly as someone who actually knows what they're talking about. And I've got an experience. Some people have an argument. Forget the arguments. I haven't. Me. <laughs> the challenge of a Zoom the connection. Place where I was working, he said, I said, yes, I do. And he made his throw all kinds of slander and everything. Ted, have you ever heard anyone speak? I said, have you ever been to a service for this? He said, no. I said, have you ever spoken with tongues? He said, no. I said, so then you really don't know what you're talking about, do you? Case closed. <laughs> he walked off. I'm it. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> the the connection was freezing a little bit, Brother Stone King. But I wanted to I wanted to ask you another question um, as it relates yes. to, to the second uh, half of our discussion today, and that is on impartation. Now you've you've always been able to impart to this. Uh, this next generation and give this 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 millennial group a confidence to be able to operate in the gifts and we're wanting to facilitate a conference where people can continue to feel the courage and the boldness to operate in the prophetic we have we have felt a mighty move of God over these last couple of days as the Lord has just blown in here with his presence and given us a confirmation that this is our day and that this is what God desires to do what is it that we can do to be instruments in the hands of God, to be able to impart to this next generation this prophetic word of God? I think this may help, okay? I'm not sure it's a complete answer, but I think it may help. Like I said to you that Brother T.W. Barnes, he was like a prophet to me. He was like a dad to me. And uh, it was interesting. I could walk into his office and sit down and talk with him, and I would walk out possessing things I didn't have when I walked in there because who he was and what he was came off on me. In fact, when I'm with people, especially younger people, sometimes I will get to praying for them and I can feel the thing that I am. I can actually feel it going from me into them. In fact, I 
was at a general conference one year and I spoke and um, it was it was well, asked actually Anthony Mangan spoke that night and I was sitting beside Stephen Barb Willoughby on the front row well Anthony when he finished speaking he walked down the steps and he motioned for me to come up there well I thought he wanted me to come and stand there and um, so he could use me as an example that God had raised me from the dead that's what I thought but when I got to him, he handed the mic to me. He said, tell it. I said, tell what? I didn't know what he wanted. And then I realized he wanted me to give my testimony. So I walked up the steps and I just began to tell how God had raised me from the dead. That's all, the thing exploded. I don't, I don't really know exactly what happened, but the thing exploded. People came up on the platform. I was surrounded with people on the platform. I was lost in the crowd. The move of God was just all over that place. Well, and then God said to me, he said, I want you to impart to this generation the gift of faith, to this audience the gift of faith. Well, I know how to do that. So there were four big sections in, that, in, the, in, the, uh, in the risers in the back. And so I went to the first uh, section over to my right, and I lifted my hands the way I do, and I just uh, threw my hands toward them, and I imparted to them the... Uh, the, the the gift of uh, faith well they couldn't see me and they couldn't hear me because i wasn't doing it in a mic but what was astounding about it is that from that section there was a roar that came back in response to me i went to the second section did the same thing and again i don't have a mic i'm not in a mic i just threw my hands toward them and said i released the gift of faith to you well when i did that there was a roar of response from them. I did it to the third section, I did it to the fourth section. It was, it was astounding. It was astounding and I could feel it go from me to that audience, to that crowd. Well, later when I got home from that conference, I called Brother Barnes and I said, Brother Barnes, this is what happened. I gave him what I told you, a lot more details. And I, when I finished, I said, Brother Barnes, it's just amazing. He said, boy, that's resurrection power. You didn't have that before you were raised from the dead. He said, but you got that. He said, and God wants you to impart it. So I'm doing everything I can to impart resurrection power. And I did it at a general conference, another place, one at the end of a meeting one night. And when I did it, 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 was, it was astounding because I'd never done it before. I did it at Landmark right after I had gone through all that experience. And God told me at the end of that, he said, I want you to impart resurrection power. So I told them what I was going to do. And, uh, and so I did it. And when I did it, the power of God hit right down on the floor, on my right area down on the floor. It was just amazing. There were three of those preachers that got a hold of it. It actually went to them. And I got a call from Josh Herring about a couple of days later. And he said, Brother Stone King, he calls me Pops. He said, Pops, you won't believe this. He said, I watched it. He said, Though I watched it. It was like fire went out of your hands. He said, when you did that, he said, and what's happened? You don't know. He said, three, three of the, two of those pastors have seen three people raised from the dead across the United States just in the last 48 hours. What I'm saying is, gentlemen, audience, young people, whoever's listening to me, you've got that resurrection power. If you've got the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you've got resurrection power. Yes, I've been raised from the dead, literally. But you've also got resurrection power. If you begin to realize what you
happen, it might as well be you. It might as well never seen a man or woman that's been given over to God. So why not you? Why not me? I believe in you. And there's a generation. There's an older generation. Here's what I understand. Young people believe it. They want to do it. And, and, and they, they want to get into it. I'm 80 years old. I've become an elder for a mission. Do it. Go out and do it. And don't worry about anyone says or does. If you make a mistake, don't worry about it. Nobody has ever lived and not made at least one mistake. So this will be your first one. Just get in there and do it. Don't worry about what anyone thinks or what anyone says. I had a, a preacher say to me one time, I was in the audience, I prayed for a man to be healed. And, uh, and uh, he walked off and he wasn't healed. So some guy walked up in the audience and he said, well, Brother Stone King, you prayed for him to be healed. He wasn't healed. Why not? I said, I don't know why not. I'm not God. God just said, lay hands on him and pray. So that's what I do. I lay hands on him and I pray. If it works, I shout and dance. If it doesn't, I pray for somebody else. <laughs> and if they don't get healed tonight, we'll work at it again tomorrow. I had a woman walk up to me at the end of a glorious service, tremendous healing all over the place. And when I spoke the word of faith, you know, when the water is troubled, that's when you need to get in. Well, I spoke the word of faith. And at the very end of all of that, when I'm exhausted, she, this woman walks up and she says, oh, Brother Stone King, would you please anoint me with oil and pray for me that I'll be healed. I said, lady, where were you 20 minutes ago? That's when it hit. You have to get into the water when the water is being troubled. I said, look, lady, I said, I'm exhausted. I've lost the anointing right now. I said, hey, are you coming back tomorrow night? She said, yes. I said, well, come back tomorrow night. Yank my coattail. I'll anoint you with oil tomorrow and pray for you. That's how I handle these things. <laughs> you cannot be discouraged. Just keep doing it. Just, Just keep do working it. at it. Oh, Brother Stone King, in just a moment, I want you to pray over us. Uh, I want to I ask uh, one question to Pastor Carney about impartation, and then I'm going to wrap it up and ask Brother Stone King to pray over us. And uh, I just want to ask you, Pastor Carney, as it relates to the subject of impartation, um, what is it that you feel along that subject line that is something that we can immediately put into practice? about imparting because we're not all Lee Stone Kings, but yet we've all got the hand of God upon our life and we can make a difference in someone else's life. So when it comes to imparting, what is it that you feel in your spirit? You cannot impart what you do not possess. Amen. And I believe I got an amen from Brother Stone King. <laughs> I do believe, and I heard you mention earlier about, you know, someone asked you to be a mentor, and you're like, me? I believe that we impart out of our overflow. And I don't think that's relegated to age. I believe that every person in here Brother Stone King just said it. If you're full of the Holy Ghost, you have overflow. Amen. What, what we've been experiencing the last little bit at this conference is just more filling so the overflow is, is there. Brother Morgan ministered last night out of the overflow. Right. That is the reason that we had the move of God and the impartation that took place. And so I believe, you know, I, 
I, I'm back to my kids, and I, I guess I'm, I'm leaning on that because my daughter is with me. But, you know, if I serve the Lord with gladness, you know, I impart that to my kids. I believe my kids are going to serve the Lord. I'm, in, I'm imparting out of the overflow of my life. And I catch myself all the time. You know, we have family prayer at home. I'll lay hands on my kids' heads and, and anoint them and impart to them. But I believe the greatest thing I can be as a father is to just impart out of the overflow. They just experience it out of my life. And so I believe, you know, this generation, you've got it. Brother Stone King just told you, you've got it. Just let it be out of the overflow. It doesn't matter if you're 15 or you're 20 or you're 40 or you're 80. Amen. <laughs> I was motioning to the camera. <laughs> Brother Stone King, would you pray that overflow over us? Yes. Mm. Yes, I will. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, right now, by the authority of the Word Jesus. of God, by the power of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, God, by the authority he of your Word, by what we stand upon, I impart to this entire listening audience the power of God, the power of God, the demonstration of the Spirit of God in power. I pray that there will become an awakening inside of every listener right now, that the gift in them as a believer will suddenly come to surface and a boldness will come upon them. I command in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that every listening person today will never be the same again, that they will be changed by the sound of your voice. Hallelujah, hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we receive it. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Transferred, they reproduce themselves in others. Help me to reproduce myself in all of these that yes, the ministry Lord. you've given me that are listening here today. I will give you praise, glory, and honor. I bless the name of Jesus. Yes, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and for the furtherance of his kingdom and his glory. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands and our voices right now. Would you receive that in the name of Jesus? Hallelujah. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Oh, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, we pray a healing upon Brother Stone King right now in the name of Jesus. I pray you would touch him by the power of the Holy Ghost. We release anointing. We release healing virtue. Give strength to him in the name of Jesus. Where two or three agree together, they can ask anything in thy name and it shall be done. Hallelujah. We speak healing into his life. 
We speak strength into him in the name of Jesus. Be made whole, hallelujah. Oh, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I just receive it from you, Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Brother Stone King, we believe the Lord's touched you. And when you go to that doctor's office visit in 45 minutes, we believe the doctor's going to say your eye is fine. And he's not going to have to put that needle in your eye. And you're healed in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I receive it. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you. In the name of Jesus.